This is going to be a juicy podcast, you guys. I can just tell. We're talking today with two relationship experts about how to keep our relationships in tip-top shape. And that means body, mind, and spirit, because this is, after all, happy, healthy you. So we're talking sex, yeah, but also how thinking differently and nurturing our spiritual lives and those of our partners can help us all live happier, healthier, sexier, and more loving lives. Oh yeah, stay tuned. It's going to be a great conversation. Hi everyone, I'm Connie Bowman. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. Today I'm talking to Molly Apple and Joe Dunn. They're relationship coaches, lovers, they're best friends, and they're the authors of the award-winning books, The Soulmate Experience, A Practical Guide to Creating Extraordinary Relationships, and the newly released sequel, The Soulmate Lover, A Guide to Passionate and Lasting Love, Sex, and Intimacy. And they sent me those books and I've read them. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So we're going to talk about those today. Welcome, Molly and Joe. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, Connie. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah, we're thrilled. It's cool to have two guests. Usually I just have one, so. It's fun for us, too. (laughs) You guys, you guys seem like such, you have such a great relationship. Tell us a little bit about you and how you all met and how this whole thing started. Yeah, yeah. It was about um, a dozen years ago. And we met through a forum that not many people use for meeting each other, but we met through Craigslist. (laughs) Surprisingly enough. No way. Really? What were you buying? We did. I once said you can get anything on Craigslist, and so far I'm I'm batting a hundred percent. Yeah. Cool. So what were you what were you looking for on Craigslist? A relationship? You know, I was I didn't know what I was looking for, and that's why I loved Craigslist because there were no boxes to check, there were no questions to answer. You could be as, you know, open or as mysterious as you wanted. And honestly, I honestly didn't know what I was looking for at that time. I just was. I felt like the universe knew better than I did. So that was the best place for me to go and and i couldn't even write anything about what i was looking for so i just trolled until i found this guy's ad <laughs> for and he just he felt he felt so open to anything and that really was the beginning for me the beginning of a magical dozen years that's for sure. <laughs> so obviously you bought what he was selling what was he selling <laughs> he he was selling a willingness to play and explore Oh, cool, cool. And from there on, you guys have been just soulmates and you say best friends and lovers. That's beautiful. So I love these books. The Soulmate Experience, let's talk about that one first, because actually this week on Happy Healthy You, we have sort of a theme going on about soulmates. Why don't we start with your definition of soulmate? Maybe Molly, you want to go with that? I, I, I think more what works for me is, is soulmate experience, which is why we called the book that is, is more looking for and creating that quality of deep, intimate, loving connection, which, which we believe is possible for everyone. And honestly, whether they're already in a relationship or not. Okay. So I, the, one of the reasons I liked your book, aside from the fact that it's really easy to read and you, you give us a lot of spiritual principles, but it's not in a lot of sort of a new agey spiritual way. It's very easy to read and you give lots of examples and I, I, it's just so rich with information. But I, I like some of your ideas and I think 
the ideas that you present are a little bit different from the traditional way of looking at soulmates and relationships. So let's start with your idea of creating context for a relationship. And what what does that mean to you? Tony, it's a purpose for okay. your relationship to exist. Okay. And, and with a purpose, you know, it, it sort of becomes your, your guiding light. And for us, we found it's it's writing these books so that, you know, so many people out there can have better relationships. That's, you know, I mean, that, that really is a big part of our context, although the words are different. So often people get in relationship, I think, most of the time without any real idea of why they want to be in one beyond companionship, sex, somebody, somebody financial support. Right. And, and it's in, and the people that have the couples that have a higher purpose for being together. And that could just mean we want to raise a family and children as happy and conscious as possible. That can be a higher purpose for being together. It's something that binds them through thick and thin. Can you give us some more examples of context that stood out for you as you've talked to people through the years? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one one great context is I'm here to create a, a, a great life where we both can become our very best selves. Mm. And so by having that context, you naturally help your partner get there, right? Because you're both sharing that context together. Yeah, so, that's a really good one. And it's something you can tune into when things get tough. You go, oh, wait a second, through this challenging period, I want to remember why we're here together, why we're doing this thing. Yeah, that's really huge. I mean, if I had done that, of course, I'm still married, so it's all good, but <laughs> it's never too late to create a, a context. And can context change over the years, say, as you become like my husband and I, we're empty nesters. So could our- Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Your, your context can change, you know, depending on where you are in life and where you are with your partner and what your goals are together. And you can also have one for, which is something we talk about in our new book, having a context for your sexual relationship. Oh. Um, for instance, it's very frequent that one person is more adventurous than the other. So they sure. can say, you know what, instead of always trying to get my partner to want to be more adventurous, I take on the context of bringing adventure into our sexual relationship. I'm responsible for that because I'm really good at it and I'm a, it's important to me. And then you take the pressure off the partner for having to try to do that too. Which makes it a lot easier for them to show up and be a little bit more adventurous, right? When they don't have that, that expectation that they should be doing. Sure, sure. And I love that you're just tantalizing us by mentioning sex. We'll go into that a little deeper later on in the program. But uh, I want to continue with your ideas for this. And I think creating context, uh, to me means we're on the same page, we have the same goals and dreams and wishes for ourselves and for our relationship. So, so, so that's really something you're talking about. That's more what we call a shared context, like okay. one we create together. Okay. As opposed to one I might create, like I, well, the example I just gave, where I, ha- where I am, have strengths in one area and you have strengths in the other. And so our contexts might be different for what we can bring to the relationship. Okay. So, yeah, I, it's important to talk about all these things, which I think when we meet when we're really young, we're just not savvy enough to know to do this, but yeah, why we're here. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're here. Awesome. So maybe we can talk about how turning expectations into invitations can make for better relationships. Sure. Um, 
as you know, we, we write a whole chapter in our first book about expectations because it's such a huge part of relationships. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when I took a relationship course many, many years ago, I had no idea of the <laughs> list of expectations that I held, you know, not only for myself, but for people around me, my, my wife, my children. Um, and it was, it was really eye opening. To, 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 to get that understanding of all these expectations. And I'll give you a great example. My son at the time was about, I think he was about seven or eight. And he, I always had this idea that when you talk to your son, they're supposed to respond to you, right? That's mm-hmm. sort of ingrained to me by my father. And, and as I would impose this expectation on him, the more I would impose it, the more he would shut down. Till at a point, he was hardly talking to me at all. And after this course that I went to, I came home and I wrote him a note and I said, Ben, I, I basically, I release you from this expectation that you have to talk to me. I'm just going to basically let that one go. And the next day, but Connie, I could not shut the kid up. It was amazing. It was really, really powerful and it for me. From there on. Yeah. And my idea about expectation, yeah, changed, my relationship with him changed. And, and I started looking for all the expectations that I held for people and for myself, right, that were not doing me uh, service. Because, because so many people, we don't want to do the things we're told we're supposed to do. Right. We're, well, we're much more likely to want to do them when there's a free, open space for us to do it in our own way. And that's where the invitation comes in, right? Mm-hmm. You can, if it's a true invitation, you can either accept it and you'll be happy you did, or you can say, no, thank you, right? And Me- Meaning that, you know, our idea is, is when we find where we're holding expectations for someone, the first step is letting those go. Very difficult step because we think that having that expectation is going to get us that. It doesn't. And then when we can let it go, we can, we can, we can, approach it in a new way, which is what we call offering an invitation for the person. Energetically, it's an entirely different bandwidth where that's coming from. And gets an entirely different response from the other person. Let's talk about some more examples of this. So the family reunion, let's talk about that one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very typical, right? You're my partner, so you should want to do certain things with me. And there's a whole list, um, you know, go to go to my class reunions, go to family events, go to my business dinners. You should want to do that with me. The the feeling that you should want to do it with me automatically for some people starts to go, eh, I don't know that I really want to do something I have to do. I'd rather do something that was felt inviting and fun. And right. so letting go of that idea that your partner should do it is a huge step towards creating a, 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 a space where your partner walks into it and go, I'd really love to do this with you. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So turning them into ex- invitations. How do we go about fleshing out the expectations that we might have that might be sort of hidden that we're not really conscious of? You know, there's things you're going to, things you're going to little keys for, for instance, um, anytime you have a feeling of should and that, that, that's something like you get frustrated if the person doesn't respond in a way or you get anxious about asking them or you're worried about their response. Any of that is, is a sign to me to look beneath, okay, what's my real belief here uh, about whatever this thing is? Yeah, is this really an open invitation or is it something that I have a... I have an attachment to. Right. Mm. I have an attachment that they respond in a certain way and that I'm going to cause myself some kind of emotional upset if they don't. There's an expectation underneath there. You can be sure of it. 
Yeah, yeah. One one thing just came to mind that I really appreciate about my husband, and he said this early on, so maybe we're in pretty good shape. He said, you know, I don't really have any expectations for you as far as being a wife or a mother or or anything. And I, I sort of had, I was raised in a pretty traditional household, and my mom did you know, the mom stuff, typical, stereotypical mom stuff. And so I sort of had that expectation for myself. But when he told me that, he really freed me up. And so now that we are sort of empty nesters, and if there's a night when I don't cook dinner for him, he makes a sandwich. I mean, it's like, and and conversely, I never expected him to cook for me because that would be a disaster. But um, <laughs> I, I really appreciate that, just not having that expectation. And I, until now, I don't think I ever really thought about it. So, and it, and it really gives you the space to be you and to be creative and yeah. to make dinner for him because you love to. Yes, exactly. You have to. Yeah, that's really great. There's so much really great information in this book that sort of changes the whole energy around relationships and I just love it you guys write about the energy of jealousy and how we can transform it into passion and excitement now that's that's sort of a big challenge in my mind so can you talk about that a little bit jealousy is such an issue with young couples especially it is and and, and it helps to know you know where the origin of those jealous feelings comes from and for most of us I mean, most of us on this planet are walking around with some degree of I'm not enough. Mm. And most of us, when we're in a relationship, are looking for a partner to somehow, you know, make those feelings go away, somehow show us constantly that we're enough. And we are on the lookout for when they don't do that. And so it's very, very natural for people to be attracted to all kinds of other human beings. And the idea that we should get into a relationship and suddenly not be attracted to anyone else. And again, that comes from this, you know, my partner is supposed to solve my I'm not enough complex. And one of the things they're supposed to do, and we're taught this in our culture, we're taught it through the media, we're taught it from our families, is by showing no interest in anyone else once they're with me. Well, <laughs> it's not really realistic for, for most, most people. For most, mm-hmm. some people really do only have eyes for this one person. But for most people, they still are a, a, a living, breathing human being that is attracted to all kinds of things. And the idea that I have to suddenly curb that and shut that down, that sets a tone for something to start happening, which is you have this very natural, you look at somebody or you smile at somebody and suddenly I'm taking that as personal. That's meaning something about me. It means there's not enough love for me. It means you don't care about me. And all of this stuff that we attach to something so truly as innocent as that Mm. Um, and, and cascades into Right. That come that thought comes up. You shouldn't be looking at her. And it's and it attracts all that the like energy of us. That's all around the idea that I'm not enough and people are going to leave me and all that stuff we might have believed at one time is still in there. And it pulls all of that up and it comes flooding through as these intense feelings of jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do with that? So what do we do with that? First of all, recognize where it's coming from, take some time to step back and go, wait a second, what am I telling myself, even in the very, very back recesses of my mind, that's causing this cascade of emotions to begin? 
and to be honest about it. And, and if you have a loving partner and can set up a situation where I'd like to be able to talk to you about what comes up for me, and these are hot button topics, so <laughs> we want to talk about it when we're not feeling hot, yeah. um, is I want to be able to talk to you about what comes up for me when I see you talking to Susan down the street. I want to tell you what I start thinking and so that we can, you can help me look at those and go, you know what? This is, this is really silly. I'm crazy about you. There's no re reason to, you know, to worry about this. So. And I might need to hear that a hundred times to start reprogramming the, those messages I give to myself so that when I see him talking to Susan instead, I can consciously say to myself, this guy loves me. He thinks Susan's really cool and he wants to talk to her for a few minutes instead of telling myself, Oh, why is he talking to her? She looks really pretty today. I look really ugly and all the <laughs> kinds of thoughts that make me feel terrible instead of peaceful. <laughs> right, right. So it really takes a bit of self-reflection and honesty to, to take a look at where these origins of the jealousy are and then the ability to dialogue with your partner about how we're yes. going to handle it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we even go, we go much farther than that, that when we were working on this, I wanted to put myself in situations where those feelings would come up because I wanted to get in there. That stuff's in you. It's not something that's out there. And so in order to bring it up, I'll just like, Joe, go say hello to her so that I can you know, start this process again and get more of more uh, awareness of what it is I'm telling myself that's bringing up all this this junk and we really really burned up all that stuff in in those weeks and months that we spent exploring that I really got to give uh, Molly a lot of credit Connie because you know for someone who acknowledged having those jealous feelings inside her and really intentionally putting herself into a position to feel those emotions not once but a number of times until together that we could work through them and then all of a sudden you know it, it shifted and now for fun she's sending me out there to go flirt with somebody so that she can you know she has a different different perspective on it and that's what she was saying earlier when we take it to a whole nother another yes. level yeah uh -huh. It's looking at it a whole different way. And, and what you're doing is it's like how we come to a yoga mat to practice or a meditation mat. We practice and with practice, we, we just get better at things and, and more. I, I mean, it's such a mature, loving way to relate to one another. I just love that. Mm. And exciting for us together. And, and I mean, much more fun. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, let's get into the fun part. How's that for a segue? Let's sure. talk about how couples can use sexual healing to deepen their connection. And uh, I have so many questions along these lines. You write about this in your recent book, The Soulmate Lover. So, mm. oh, just so beautifully. And I love all the examples that you give. And I mean, if we all read this, I think our relationships would have no problems. So <laughs> we think so, too. Yeah. So talk about the importance of sexual healing and how it can bring us closer. So, so sexual healing, what it, it's such a fascinating uh, topic to me. And the only reading I've ever done in it was very esoteric stuff, sure. you know. Um, and yet for me, it's a very practical thing. It's that sexual intimacy is a time when we can heal so much. Um, 
a very a very common area would be you know limiting beliefs I might have about my body, my uh, my attractiveness, my desirability. All of that stuff is come that's that stuff's going to come up in your sexual relationship regardless of whether you look at it or not, regardless of whether you want to expose it to your partner. But this is the heart of sexual intimacy: is this vulnerability, the sharing of our deepest selves, and part of that is you know. I don't think I look good naked. I don't like the way I look from behind, blah, blah, blah. All these things. I don't think my breasts are big enough, small enough, um, all this kind of stuff. I have too many wrinkles on my face. When we can share that stuff, and so often a partner who's really there with you, they, they hear that and their heart is touched by it because they're not thinking about that at all. No, 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 not at all. And so what we want to do when we hear something like that is, we immediately want to jump in and see what we can do to, to maybe shift that perspective. So she's not going around thinking you hate my, my, yeah, my butt sagging or whatever. It yeah. might be, you know, and, and my saggy butt means you don't like having sex with me or, or I should try to hide it. And anything we're trying to hide when we're having sex is going to, going to re- reduce our ability to be fully present and intimate with someone. Can you so, think? Can you think of any examples in the book of couples that you mentioned that might uh, be an example of this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. successfully overcoming sure. this? Sure. Yeah, there's so many. Well, here's here's one, um, Connie, that that we did ourselves. Uh, I don't know if it's in the book because I don't have that kind of memory, but it might be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you know, Molly had always. Oh, Molly, one time we were at the beach and. We've been dating about six months or something. Yeah. And it was the first time, I think, that we'd ever had our shoes off together. And we were standing next to each other, and I was totally oblivious what Molly was looking at or thinking. But she was looking down at our feet, and she was saying, oh, my God, my feet are as big as Joe's or, or bigger. I don't know. They're bigger. They're so ugly and all. She had this whole thing going on in her head about her feet. From years. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, and this is typical, whether it's breasts or penis size or something, something we've been telling ourselves for years. My feet are ugly. They're too big, blah, blah, blah. And he looks at me and he goes, what's that? What are you thinking about, honey? He's like looking at my face. I'm going, oh, God. It's Even as silly as it sounds, it's your feet. But... When, when you've been cutting yourself down for years, it's a big step to go, okay, this is what I'm thinking about. My feet are too big and they're ugly and you're going to notice because we're standing right next to each other looking at our, the sand on our feet from walking on the beach. So it's really incumbent upon the partner to be aware of that as well as the, the person who's noticing their flaws, their perceived flaws. The partner it certainly yeah. helps. You okay. know, I would say I would say it's absolutely necessary that you are with someone that you trust to hold your secrets. You're not right. you're not doing this kind of revealing with someone that you have no idea what they're going to do tomorrow to go out. Now that doesn't mean that you you, you can't ever predict, but you definitely want somebody wants has to earn your trust in a certain way for you to be at your most vulnerable. So, but yeah. here he goes with okay. <laughs> she's revealed this and then <laughs> so I took her into the bathroom and I sat her up on the counter we filled the uh, the sink with warm water and I, I washed her feet Aww. one by one <laughs> and, and then after that I, it was I like dried an her hour feet. he washed my feet yeah. and then mm. I made love to her feet for the next hour <laughs> and, and I, think all, by that time, and I hope you locked time- that bathroom door <laughs> yeah, it was and a public all the bathroom. time he is 
saying things to me like these feet have given you a lifetime of you know walking here and there a service and they're they're these absolute amazing things we have to honor them and all this amazing stuff and those that's what you can do no matter what body part if we're talking about healing somebody's idea about how bad this body part is is to talk about wow this belly has given you two amazing children mm-hmm. it's you know, worked with you. It's been with you your whole life. Let's give it some love instead of this hate you've been showering on it for the last 30 years. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. It Aww. changed. It changed my feeling about my feet forever. I've never looked at them since that day and thought they're ugly. Wow. Well, they say the greatest healing is waiting for us really in our relationships. So mm. uh, that's I like that. But why wait? <laughs> Why wait? Exactly, exactly. I love some of the tips you give for specific things, and I won't go into great detail because I guess I'm sort of a family show, but that's okay. You talk about like for women who might have issues with orgasm, hypnosis is great for that. I mean, such great practical advice for people who might be challenged by some sexual issues. And I just love that. That's it's mm. It's just beautiful. In chapter 12, I love that you have the five essential practices for truly soulful sex. And, and you say that this whole book is based on these five essential practices. Can we go through them briefly? Absolutely. Yeah, I think Absolutely. that's so, it's awesome. I just and love it. And you that. will find, Connie, those same five practices at the end of our first book. They are, from my perspective, the five key core spiritual principles that are in every doctrine, every type of spirituality. Mm, beautiful. So let's talk about them. The first one is accept what is. Mm-hmm. So the practice of acceptance right here in sexual healing, we're talking about helping someone with self-acceptance because your partner so often accepts something about you that you have been rejecting. And the practice is to come to a place of acceptance with it. Yeah. Mm, that's awesome. And then the second one is be here right now. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, if you're not here with your partner, if you're off thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow or what you did last week or something else, you're never going to have quite the the depth of experience that's really available to you. Mm-hmm. So, so presence is a practice. Yeah, it right? is. Right? It's, it's an awareness of if I'm, let's say we're, let's say making love, right? It's a, it's an awareness of where are my thoughts right now? Am I with this? Do I need to bring myself back here? And we can even do it for each other. You say, oh, Joe, I'm kind of wandering off to this thing I have to do tomorrow. Can you do something? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to do this right now. You're going to be right here with me. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like sex to bring you back to the present moment, right? <laughs> and number three is come from a place of love. Well, yeah. Yes. So, yes, as opposed to, you know, often it's it's said that there's love versus fear. And that really works for me. It's like every emotion that we have can kind of comes from one of those two places. And so bringing an awareness of where am I coming from at this moment? Expectations always come from fear. Mm. And how does that relate to sex? Let's talk about if we come from a place of love rather than fear, how does that change the experience of sex for a couple? Okay, so let's go back to our previous example of, of, you know, not being happy with a particular body part, Mm -hmm. right? So you're in fear about that particular body part. And you can imagine how you bring that fear into the bedroom with your partner. 
And it begins to rule you if you don't bring some awareness to it. Right. And it could, you know, bleed over into your partner. And all of a sudden, you guys are both having this experience based more in fear than in love. And we don't even know why. Yeah. yeah. You know, and one of the things here, Connie, that's interesting to me is those five core spiritual principles, when you really get into them, they're all the same principle. Yeah. It's, it, it, and some people would call it love. Some people will call it acceptance or appreciation but it's like all of these are this energy that we're trying to describe with words is is really all the same Mm, yeah yeah and practice number four is know that we are all connected how can that help us have better relationships and sex lives Hmm. so the the principle that we're all one we're all connected that so many spiritual teachings teach and yet what does that mean right. there's universal human experiences that we all share this idea that you know we all are carrying around some some idea of the i'm not enough tape when we recognize that everybody has that suddenly wow okay i'm not so i'm not so alone after all like we can all realize that if i if i'm vulnerable enough to tell you about what my tape is saying and you're vulnerable enough to tell me about what your tape is saying there is this this kind of magic between you this this connection that you form this connection right? absolutely. because that's that's that all one yes right? that oh, we we're f- having the same experience may they may the particulars may be different but 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 we can find our connection through sharing how it is that we both we both have an experience of that And I love how you talk about in this chapter, you say eye gazing is like foreplay for the soul. (laughs) (laughs) Joe came up with that. He's just got this beautiful way with describing things that just like he said that. And I'm like, oh, man, that totally is so cool. It feels so right. (laughs) But when we look into each other's eyes, I think the eyes are the only spot on the body where you actually see into the brain. So you're really looking into the depths of another person when you're. When you're, and it's a very vulnerable uh, yes. experience. It yes. really yeah. is. So, yeah. foreplay for the soul. Love it. Joe. We're, we're trying it right now. <laughs> uh, oh, get a room, you guys. Really, seriously. <laughs> let's okay. Let's talk about the last one where you say appreciate every moment. I mean, this is something that I'm just starting to get at at yes. my age. I mean, every moment is precious. But how does that work for relationships? If yes. we appreciate every moment. So, so I, I do this pretty much all day long, like tune into what's wonderful about right now. And I, it shifts my experience in an instant. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling scared about something or tired or whatever, and I just go, what are three things that are really wonderful right now? And I just, you know, Joe's eyes here talking to you has really been, been a wonderful experience. Um, and just the fact that we live in a place where we're not, you know, in constant destitute or war. I mean, what that's huge. Yeah. And just tuning into the, the, the gratitude I have for that, uh, my experience shifts instantly when I do that practice. So you can imagine if you're doing that in the bedroom with your partner, mm-hmm. how that might have positively impact your, your sexual yeah. experience. And yeah, even absolutely. together, like yeah, what do we both appreciate about being here, about having the time and, and, and place to even have a great relationship or even have a mediocre relationship, right. <laughs> which could be which could be much better very quickly if we're putting our attention together on what's wonderful about it. 
Oh, that is just so juicy, as I said. I love at the end of the book how you have questions for reflection. Uh, You have everything from seduction, intimacy, and keeping the spark alive, where you ask, what does intimacy mean to you? And these are questions that you can ask uh, your partner. And uh, it's just such a great book for, for anyone, whether you're starting a relationship or you've been in a relationship for, for a long time. Is there any one thing that you could say to people now who might be struggling in a relationship? Where, mm-hmm. where is a good place to start to heal a relationship that may mm-hmm. be in trouble in, mm-hmm. in your experience? With yourself. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's said that it only takes one person to change to change a relationship, and that has to be true. So often we're trying to get our partner to change with us, but, but, but very frequently the most powerful thing we can do is to start to do that work on ourselves. And that person's going to be drawn into it or not. If they're drawn into it, what an amazing thing. And if they're not, you really get more and more of a sense of maybe this, the way we have this relationship constructed, isn't the best for both of us right now. And that's a hard thing to recognize. But beating your head against trying to get somebody to change for 20 years is a hell of a lot harder. Yes, Mm. that's for sure. Yeah. And not the way we are, are supposed to live. Well, thank you guys so much. I hope you'll come back because there's so much more we can talk about. Uh, with respect to relationships and sex and all this juicy stuff. But I really, I, I'm really left with this feeling that a good, healthy, happy relationship it just helps us all to live our best lives. And, and why wouldn't we want that? You know, it's, so, it's so important. You know, we, I think sometimes we don't realize how important a great relationship is. And important for our children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so important. Maybe we should just leave with that. Why is it important for our children? <laughs> <laughs> and, and not only our children, but the, the rest of the world. I mean, we are modeling for not yes. only our children, but the rest we, of the world in a larger we, sense. We don't get enough of a, a positive education on, on how to have relationships. And we get very so, little. Yeah. We get most of a negative education, right? So having that, you know, having children see parents who are willing to accept one another's flaws, to work with each other. To be to, vulnerable. Yeah. Well, beautiful. I mean, we've just seen it with our own, with our own kids how, how amazing that has been. And we also, we hear almost every day from people how they love to see how this, this possibility of working together like this, where two people could really accept each other fully and in the process learn to accept themselves fully, yeah. which is really, really this idea that you must love yourself before you can love someone else. I think it's more of a process and it's much more intimately connected than that, that you grow in self-love and other love together. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, it's just, I, I think that's what life's all about. You guys are so freaking cute. I can't even stand it. <laughs> You finish each other's sentences and you just, you, t- you allow each other to speak. You never stepped on one another once. It was beautiful. So thank you so much. So I love the soulmate lover and the soulmate experience. Tell everybody where they can find more information about you and your books. 
Uh-huh. On our website, thesoulmateexperience.com, you can download a couple of free chapters from each of those books. And those those free chapters are ones that people love. So um, some of those free chapters have even had marriage proposals. So I definitely would say go get those. Nice. Um, the books are available everywhere books are sold. We have a large community on Facebook at The Soulmate Experience and also on Twitter. So we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come and say hi. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks. And uh, just a shout out to Craigslist for bringing you two together. I mean, I, I Craig big time, Connie. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know Craig, but yeah, good job, Craig. Neither do I, but he did, he did us right. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs> we had a great time, Connie. Happy, A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy, in paperback, Kindle and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.